Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing podcast. This is your 2019 Rooster Road Trip preview episode. We're coming at you from southwest Kansas in a private meeting room of the Best Western Hotel. <laughs> and gathered around the table, we have uh, the quarterback of the Rooster Road Trip, the Director of Marketing for Pheasants Forever, a voice you haven't heard on the podcast in a couple months. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking that as a sign. That this might not be my forte, but you know, for the, the next five, six days, we're going to give it a go. Yeah, you're going to be my, <laughs> you're going to be riding shotgun, the theme of Rooster Road Trip as co-host of On the Wing Podcast the next week, Andrew Vavra, Director of Marketing for Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, and the only person to be on every single Rooster Road Trip. It's true. It means I'm either really good at it or I'm the only one dumb enough to keep on <laughs> signing up for it. <laughs> and for the first time ever, uh, your trusty bird dog, Bull, is not your sidekick. Oh, we're just getting straight to it. Yeah, you got, yep. uh, you, you've got... The little uh, little French Brittany with you, Baxter. Yep, and, and Bo knew exactly what was going on. Did when, he? When, when I when I left, you could you could see it in her eyes. It, or her, yeah. It was it was pretty heartbreaking to shut that door and walk away, knowing she was still at home. Uh, especially knowing that, you know, her first real wild bird public lands hunt was during this you know, same road trip, ten years ago now, which is a, a pretty amazing fact in itself. But. When you have a, a puppy making their first wild bird retrieve 10 years ago, you do the math. She's, she's getting up there, and uh, there's only so much space in the back of the truck. And I just, I just didn't think I had room for a, a part-time dog. As, as much as I, I wanted her to, to come along, I just I, I knew it was best for her and me. Yeah, I can remember that first uh, bird like it was yesterday. It was on the 25th anniversary WMA near um, Madison, Minnesota, right? That's correct, in Lackaparle Lack County. Yeah. And yep. if I recall correctly, there were two birds in the air, and I might or might not have missed one of them. Yep. Two, bird, <laughs> two birds got up, but all I cared about is my, my dog brought one back. Yeah. Uh, that was her first wild bird retrieve, and uh, that's, a, that's a memory I'm always going to have. Yeah, that was pretty fun. Um, also familiar to podcast listeners, but not recently, I guess a few episodes back, Marissa Jensen, Education and Outreach Program Manager and quarterback of Women on the Wing Initiative, joins us from Nebraska. Yes. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm excited. Your first Rooster Road trip. It is, and hopefully not the last. <laughs> <laughs> and and you have two bird dogs with you. I do. I was crazy enough to do that. <laughs> hopefully I don't regret it. So. And, and tell us about your pups. Yeah, so I have a seven-month-old pup along with me. Her name is Yeti, um, and she's a, a German short hair pointer. We just recently got her within the last month. Um from a previous owner where it just didn't work out. And so she had her first introduction to birds, oh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, so this is gonna be a very new experience, but it'll be good to socialize, get around other people and just get used to traveling. And let's be honest, you, you took in Yeti with the idea of you're gonna do a little bit of training and move Yeti along to a forever home. Yes. Turns out 
you're the forever home. Yeah, I've, I'm pretty sure I'm the only person who didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, you are. Yes, um, she she definitely had some behavioral problems when I first got her, and so I didn't I didn't want to rehome her right away, and then it, it very quickly she just kind of took over, and she's not going anywhere. We really like her, so. And and your veteran bird dog pup. Yes, Reese. She is five years old. Um, so she's pretty, she's excited for this, I think. I mean, I'm... I'm <laughs> <laughs> You're projecting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think she's excited to um, hunt along some, some better wing shooters and be able to retrieve some birds. <laughs> so it'll be a good trip. I'm excited for her. And uh, making his On the Wing inaugural debut, the editor of the Quail Forever Journal, Chad Love. Um, we're kind of in your backyard here. Kind of am, yeah. About two and a half hours away. Not but, too uh, bad. That's kind of a backyard. And uh, Chad, you brought um, one of three pups you own, right? Mm-hmm. I have three English setters. Uh, I brought my youngest one, Leo. He's about two and a half years old. Still learning, but he's a pretty good dog. And all all of your pups are setters, right? Mm-hmm. Have you always had setters or have you been... Uh, no, I actually started out with an English pointer. You had Chesapeake's along the way too, mm-hmm. didn't you? Yeah, when I was doing a lot of waterfowl hunting, I was uh, heavy into Chessies. I've had three Chessies, and used to do bird hunting with Chessies. Used to do uh, some flushing with Chessies. And what uh, what hooked you on English setters, or at least for the time being? You know, I don't really know the personality. Hmm. I, uh, my first uh, my first bird dog was a pointer, an English pointer, and she was a sweet dog. She had a very setter like personality. And uh, for whatever reason, I just decided my second dog was going to be, well, I did have a, a brief foray into the continental breeds, uh, but it didn't work out. And so I, <laughs> I went back to, uh, to setters. They, they think the same of you. I know. <laughs> I know. And, uh, and just kind of have stuck with setters ever since. I'm not a breed loyalist, though. Uh, at some point, I may end up going back to English pointers. I like pointers and setters, even short hairs. And uh, for those playing Rooster Road Trip trivia at home, uh, Chad, you were on the second, uh, well, po- a portion of the second a, Rooster Road a, Trip a ever. A portion of the second road trip, back when I was freelancing, uh, I had gotten to know you and uh, Andrew and Anthony. And Anthony, yeah. And uh, I think it was you that invited me up to Norton, Kansas. Yeah, I think, if I recall correctly, you were writing for Field and Stream, the Gundog um, article. And we, I was. We thought, hmm, if we could have Chad come along, you might write a article about uh, Rooster Road Trip and Field and Stream. Did I ever write anything? You did indeed. Excellent. All yeah. right. Well, you got a good return on the investment. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so we we hunted uh, in uh, Kansas with you for um, the second Rooster Yeah, road so trip. that was nine years ago, right? Yeah, I think it was um, 2011's trip. It was the year we started in Kansas and then moved our way north because the first trip we started in North Dakota, worked our way south, and then had to drive 12 hours home. And we, we learned that lesson the hard yeah, way. We uh, always end by going towards your house instead of you know, having your last hunt be as far away as possible and realizing, oh, no, I have quite the journey in front of me. So I, I remember that trip because that on that trip, my old setter, Jenny, who's nine years old now, she got her first wild bird point, her first wild bird oh, point. Oh, I, I don't even know yeah. that I knew that. No, well, I was hunting alone. You, you guys were, were doing editing or something, and I just went out and kind of did some freelancing around some Weehaw there around Norton and mm. got her first bird. Cool. Uh, Andrew, folks coming to this podcast are hearing the, the term rooster road trip for the first time. Uh, describe what rooster road trip is. 
Well, the Rooster Road Trip started uh, 10 years ago as an answer to what was our, our blossoming online audience, if you will. This is back when our Facebook presence was starting to get off the ground. And we noticed kind of a, a negative vibe from a lot of our followers in terms of, you know, insert state doesn't have any birds. Insert state, there's nowhere to hunt. And for us being uh, some young guys that hunted nothing but public lands, uh, we're doing it all ourselves. We just wanted to show you're wrong. You just need to get out there and try. You just honestly just need to get out there, put on some miles, you know, put your boots on the ground and just give it a chance. There was like this fatalist attitude of like, there's nothing out there anyways that we wanted to prove wrong. And on top of that, we also wanted to highlight all the various, uh, you know, projects that our chapters were accomplishing across the entire country. And we, uh, we wanted to show off the public land acquisitions that are now public to everybody. And also like all the legislative action work that we're doing in DC that opens up access through various programs be it WEHA or, or the walking area access in, in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of great things that we're doing all throughout the country. And we wanted to basically brag about it a little bit and then also show people that, hey, you can go do this too. We're not superstars. Our dogs are not perfect by any means, but we still manage to scratch out some birds and uh, more importantly, have a pretty good time. And uh, all right, you have 20 seconds. Can you name all the states that the Rooster Road Trip has been to in, in uh, 10 years? Well, we started with five states in five days the first year, uh, which is insane in itself. Um, I was a lot younger back then. <laughs> uh, so let's do North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas, Colorado, Oklahoma. Yep. What, what, uh, what am I missing? I believe you, you missed Montana. Did you say oh, Montana? How did I forget Montana? Yeah. Don't go to Montana, folks. <laughs> Especially don't go to the Denton area. There, there's no public access out there. That's thanks in part to Pheasants Forever and their local chapter. Trust me, you don't want to go check that Might out. Might be named Coffee Creek or Wolf, Wolf Creek. Creek. Yeah, there's this, I mean, Teton River's up there, too. Go fish the Judith. Yeah, you'll have a terrible time. Don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> so lots of different states. And as you mentioned, you started to mention a, a variety of the uh, different um, types of land that uh, Rooster Road Trip has hunted over the years. And I uh, did a little Google searching. I, I hopped it. Can anybody tell me what the 10-year anniversary gift is? for? So your 10-year wedding anniversary, what sort of gift <laughs> are you supposed to get your bride? Or, or, or you know, significant other. I've only made it through two years so yeah. far. I have no idea. <laughs> well, I've made it through 24, and I still have no idea. So, uh, this is it is, Crystal? It, it is not Crystal. <sighs> There's a loose connection here to public lands. <laughs> Trust me. Go with me here. So it's, it's either tin or aluminum. So if you think about it, 10 years of Rooster Road Trip, we've touched a lot of tin or aluminum signs all, all across America. Public land side. Come on, I get, get it. Give get it, it to it. me a little bit. I'll, I'll, I'll you worked hard for that. <laughs> That's a tenuous connection, but I see it. But here's why I'll give it to you for sure. Because during last year's Rooster Road trip, uh, we spent the entire week uh, coursing through South Dakota. We started started out in Pierre and then worked our way east. And one of the gentlemen we met up with outside of Aberdeen, um, I mean, this guy was a straight killer. Like you just you just knew. Okay, this guy sees a lot of lot of birds. And his biggest piece of advice for us was whenever you're hunting public land, make sure you touch the sign, meaning always hunt the entire field. Don't, don't skirt out early. Don't cut out that last 30 yards because the truck's right there. He says he makes it a point to touch the sign mm -hmm. every single time. 
And he finds birds just by doing that. And uh, truthfully, so I wasn't on last year's Rooster Road Trip, but no. I certainly heard that in the uh, the podcast that you guys recorded and you talked about that. And it might have been the third day, if I recall correctly, t- touching the sign. And when I was thinking about the, the connection with Tin, it's like, well, all those signs are made out of that same sort of stuff. So there you go. Um, and, and when you start thinking about all the different types of public lands in all those different signs all the shapes you know from the triangle uh yellow plots one in north dakota to the you know the walk-in access in minnesota that's kind of an an uh, octagon octagon with a maybe a tealish color Mm -hmm. i believe then there's the community habitat um in aberdeen that's sort of an aqua Aqua. blues uh, color your, your classic green and white waterfall production area signs, the yellow and black signs in, in Minnesota's wildlife management area, the yellow signs for the uh, open fields and waters. I believe their open fields and waters are yellow in, in Nebraska, yeah. right? Yep, correct. Weha are your kind of generic black and white signs, right? What what else? What, what's OLAP? Don't in forget Oklahoma? OLAP in Oklahoma. What, what uh, maybe color is that? It's white. Maybe we need to up our sign game. Of course, we're new at it, so in Oklahoma, yeah, <laughs> just straight up white. What's the yeah, text just color? Just white. Uh, te- I don't know. I'm colorblind. <laughs> Are you really? Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, or partial colorblind. <laughs> but it, I think it's black. But it says OLAP. It's a nice sign. It's just not very flashy. So, um, do you have when you think back to ten years, all those states, all those different pieces of um, public land? Is there a a favorite that jumps out to you, Andrew? That that you kind of say that that was epic um I, I guess i'll break that down into like two different categories and in, in terms of like a setting and a scene um you know that this is why i'm ashamed i forgot about montana <laughs> it, it, it has to be uh the denton area of montana just uh bird hunting out west is just an experience that i hope uh, everybody has an opportunity just to, to get out there and see that because uh, there are a lot of birds as well and there's just big open unencumbered swaths of, of prairie and it's just pack a lunch because you can spend all mm. day um and on one piece uh but when it comes to perhaps one field one hunt um i'm not gonna hot spot it but it's around the area of Hedinger, north dakota so um southwest of bismarck if, I've, if i'm thinking about it correctly but we probably had one of the most fantastic flushes of my life in terms of just wave after wave mm. after wave of birds getting up and it's one of those you don't know if you should reload or just stop and stare and like you, you start losing track of what's a rooster what's a hen so then you get nervous about shooting in general mm-hmm. and the dogs are just going bananas and then you get worried about losing the bird that you did drop because mm. the dogs are out finding new ones it was uh chaotic and fun all at the same time yeah there, there have been some just magnificent memories that have come out of this trip i a lot of my best memories have come on what was once CRP map. Um, it is now open fields and waters. This is the name of the program in Nebraska. Like, uh, my older dog Trammel just had a, a career in a field on our first road trip in Nebraska. And then a couple years later, Logan and I were there with, um, Jared Burke and his son, Logan, and Trammell did it again, you know, and it, it was just, I have a soft spot in Nebraska where, you know, when I plan my own personal holiday hunting trips, Nebraska elevates to the top pretty quick, quickly. 
because um, I just have some tremendous memory. And they tell you don't hunt memories. It's awfully sweet to re just reimagine some of those memories too. Well, there's something special about us in particular coming from Minnesota and then going further south because mm-hmm. we're used to just trudging through the thickest grass, cattails. <laughs> right. You know, where is my dog, let alone is my dog on point? And then you, you get to Nebraska and Kansas and you kind of encounter more of these bunch grasses where you can see your dog just coursing through the field, but it's still enough grass to hold a bird. Um, it's just like such a phenomenal combination uh, and something we're just not used to quite yeah. frankly <laughs> yeah i was also trying to think of um the different species it's obviously rooster road trip and for folks listening you can uh, dial up roosterroadtrip.org it's our microsite within the pheasants forever website where you can follow it's it g- aggregates all the content um, but you can follow rooster road trip on our facebook page pheasants forever facebook page instagram account twitter we'll have videos we'll have podcasts every day um, it's a tremendous amount of content but the name rooster road trip well we certainly chase pheasants and i know you know when we've been in nebraska kansas oklahoma we've had some luck with bob whites I know when you guys have been uh, South Dakota, Fort Pier grasslands, sharp tails and chickens were added to the bag. Montana, Huns. Huns and Sharpies. Huns and Sharpies. And I don't recall anything else. We flushed a sage grouse in Montana. Oh, really? I the, the, so the, I wasn't the, in the Montana trip. The season wasn't open because it's such a limited huh. season. Um, but the, the employee we were with at the time, Dan Bailey, knew this property that held them. And he just kind of wanted to show us them mm. you know and seeing these things are just so massive it's so much bigger than i ever thought they would ever be it's like uh, like a miniature turkey basically getting off uh, or getting up from you know a, a point and it's just like holy cow yeah. those things are massive so just being able to do experience that was was pretty special i i know i've almost been killed by a white-tailed deer on the road trip in a cattail slew in minnesota that nearly impaled and ran me over <laughs> um, we've seen Muleys in Montana, pronghorns. Um, Lots of turkeys. Yeah, elk, Montana. I, I, don't, I don't remember. Okay, yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't on that one. So I remember seeing muleys. Um, I guess in in South Dakota in Fort Pier. Um, all right. So themes. Some of the themes. Some like you said, the very first one. Five states in five days, <laughs> which <laughs> we've. Uh, we did for maybe three years and then learned our lesson and started coming up with new themes. <laughs> I think we spun it that, you know, we could put out better content if we weren't behind a wheel for 80% of yeah. the time. <laughs> that first year was just crazy. Just driving through the night. Just, it wasn't safe. Yeah. <laughs> then we did uh, flushers versus roosters. Oh, or fly, flushers fly versus pointers, pointers mm-hmm. which we uh, broke up into two groups. Mm-hmm. And um, you and Anthony and... Was it Essling went um, North Dakota, Montana, South Dakota for flushing with flushing dogs, and I think me and Jared and Josh took a pointing group. 
Oh, no, no. It was me, Elsa, and Logan. We went Colorado, Nebraska, Kansas. That's yep. what it was. And then we did a kind of a pheasant and quail split. That's the one with Josh when we went down to Oklahoma. Then you guys did the Montana camping trip where you lived out of a, a tent for a week. Yeah, a, a wall tent in an RV in a canyon that didn't have any internet access. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of fun, though. <laughs> well, that, I mean, it does, when you talk to most of the, like Logan, that was Logan's favorite. You know, I think it's very high on your list. Yep. Um, and then last year was the 100th anniversary of pheasant hunting in South Dakota. So the theme last year was entirely wrapped around South Dakota and their 100 years of pheasant hunting. So you guys crisscrossed the state. This year, tell, tell us about uh, the 2019 theme. Well, I want to say it's becoming more and more difficult for us to come up with new themes. But uh, having uh, been at this for 10 years now, uh, we decided we really wanted to shake things up in terms of let's let's go late. Let's go really late. Let's go December late. Let's see if we maybe have to drive through a blizzard late. <laughs> um, so so this year's theme is late season long tails. Um, generally, we, we do the rooster road trip in October when um, the weather isn't as variable because um, you're always trying to hedge your bets. You're always trying to put things more in your favor and remove anything that could go wrong. So we kind of shoved that to the side this year and decided to go for it and if our batteries freeze in five minutes out in the field then we'll have to deal with that but uh it just seemed like a really good opportunity to to head south later in the year and uh per- perhaps uh, experience some of those tight holding snow covered roosters that that's what i'm imagining with this <laughs> in parts of the country that's definitely true this week um for whatever reason our path might be paved with the yellow brick road of uh of, of a little bit warmer weather, although we'll have to see because um, they did close down part of Nebraska because of a snowstorm where we're heading, but we've got a couple of days of 50 degrees before we get there. So we will see. Speaking of, uh, so, so our, the two states we're going to, Nebraska and Kansas, Nebraska's season um, opened October 26th and runs through January 3rd. You can shoot three roosters and six quail a day in the state of Nebraska, and then Kansas, where we'll be starting, because we did le- learn our lesson and started the furthest <laughs> away from home, um, and to work our way north back to the Twin Cities. Uh, we are starting in Kansas, where the season began on November 9th and runs through January 31st. So two states that, you know, as you're listening to this podcast, you still can make your own late season rooster road trip because their pheasant seasons go till the end of January. Kansas is uh, very liberal uh, bag limits. It is the only state that I know of, I think, with a four rooster per day bag limit and eight quail. And Chad is going to put us on, <laughs> let's see, how, how many How many do we got to get tomorrow? Well, the four of us anyways, we can shoot 16 roosters and 32 quail tomorrow, Chad. Well, we may end up with uh, one rooster and two quail, <laughs> <laughs> if we're lucky. <laughs> well, and you are the, the pseudo guide for this. Emphasis on leg, pseudo. Leg. None of us are guides. None of us are professional hunters. We are simply employees that uh, are passionate about pheasants forever and quail forever and our habitat mission in bringing our story of public lands, 
habitat to the masses. And uh, that's why I do call you a pseudo guide, <laughs> just because um, you're a communications professional. We just happen to be in your backyard. So you're the closest thing to a guide <laughs> on this trip. And, and you happen to love where we're going. I do. And uh, so tell us about that. Well, that's Cimarron National Grasslands. Uh, what they are are parcels, old farmsteads that were bought by the federal government following the Dust Bowl. Uh, most people f- think of the Dust Bowl as being like farther east, but the actual epicenter of the Dust Bowl uh, in the 1930s was actually southwestern Kansas, southeastern uh, Colorado, northeastern New Mexico, this, this area. Mm-hmm. And so after the Dust Bowl, a lot of this highly erodible land was bought up by the federal government and, and put back to grasslands. And that's basically what it is. Cimarron National Grasslands, that's like 108,000 acres. Uh, yeah, 108,175 acres. And I've already, to be been, precise. I've already been called out on Twitter for hotspotting the Cimarron, which is, let me remind that person who tweeted me and all of our listeners, 108,175 Acres. acres. And <laughs> we are not <laughs> dropping any pins. Uh, again, 108,175 acres. It is the single largest public land property in the entire state of Kansas. 108,000. We are not hotspotting. And if you actually get out and walk it, it feels like 108,000 square miles. I mean, it is a huge area and you can't hotspot. You can't hotspot hot the grasslands. I mean, it's just, it's a monstrous area. Well, it, 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 as I was uh, digging in for statistics on the, the grasslands, um, I learned a bunch of things that I didn't know. You know, if you think about it, or as I think about it, grass, the national grasslands are probably the most overlooked uh, piece of public property that, um, you know, maybe the public, but for sure bird hunters um, in our vernacular, right? Like, if you think about rough grouse, you think about national forests, state forests, right? You, as, as pheasant hunters, we think about WMAs and WPAs. And, you know, there, there's a contingent that goes to Fort Pier for the prairie chickens and the sharp tails, but there are 20 national grasslands in the, in the entire country. They account for almost 4 million acres. And as you look at the U.S. Forest Service website, and the U.S. Forest Service, a division within the U.S. Department of Agriculture, manages every single national grassland, 4 million acres. Every single one that I read, 20 different national grasslands talk about upland bird hunting opportunities. From and the majority of them, I believe... Uh, 17 of the 20 are based in the Great Plains or around the Great Plains, but there's one in Oregon, one in California, and one in Idaho. And they, every single one of those other three mention upland birds as well. It, four million acres of public ground open to bird hunters. And, and the majority of them happen to be in the Great Plains. Yeah, I, I think the national grasslands uh, kind of represent the one of the best public hand, public land opportunities for bird hunters out there. Uh, in my home state of Oklahoma, we have Black Kettle National Grasslands. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Rita Blanca National Grasslands in the, in the Panhandle. And uh, my first public land quail hunting experience was on Black Kettle National Grasslands mm. in western Oklahoma. Uh, it's they're, they're just a fantastic opportunity. With, with you have you mentioned two of them, 
in your home state. Mm-hmm. But yet you told me like, you know, five to eight times a year, you get pulled north to Kansas to yeah, the Cimarron. I do. Why is that? Because it's the isolation, I think, is part of it. Mm. Uh, I, I love the landscape. I've always been a prairie rat. Uh, this part of the state, it, you really have to want to come here. You know, you can't just sort of drop in. And so when you come here, you get the kind of experience. What I, what I crave when I bird hunt is not just birds and dogs and shooting. It's isolation, solitude, beauty, mm-hmm. quiet. And you get that in spades here. It's a different kind of beauty. It is. It's a very stark, oftentimes harsh kind of beauty. Um, but uh, actually, Marissa and I were, were out uh, today at, at, uh, at dusk and at sunset and it was just you're just running her her pup and it was it was beautiful it it i i told her that like in the summertime um there's no place i'd rather not be than the southern great plains because it's it's very hot and dry and it's harsh but in the fall it just it it completely changes Mm. uh it it and especially at sunset you you get this this sort of peace peacefulness i that's kind of a stupid thing to say but I mean, you uh, it, you get this sense of, of isolation, and you get a sense of, of kind of what this prop- this land was prior to settlement, mm. and it's a it's just a very unique experience. Simmeron, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think you were you have written a story about it as a freelancer before coming to work here, right? What, what yeah. and you told me about um, the word Cimarron comes from some. Something in particular. Yeah, it, it's I, and I can't remember exactly what it is. I, I couldn't I couldn't find my old story to go oh, back okay. and reference it, but it, it it has several different meanings. Uh, one of them is like uh, river of uh, river of, of red bluffs. I think was one of them. Uh, river of wild goats. I, I mean, there, there were <laughs> there were like yeah, when I was researching Isn't that the story. A song? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, there, someone will get the reference. I got the reference. Sheep go to heaven, goats I, I, go to hell. Goats go to hell. I'm, I'm a <laughs> so, so, so yeah, there, there are several different variations on that name, uh, but uh, but the Cimarron River itself actually isn't a river, uh, as as we'll find out. Uh, r- water hasn't flowed in the river for quite some time. So it, I, I looked up a few things that it, um, it references. Uh, Spanish word, um, this is my best um, Spanish pronunciation, cimarron, uh, meaning wild or untamed. Mm-hmm. And then there's also a um, uh, Taino word, which is a, um, a tribe from the Bahamas. So who knows how closely related this is. But cimarron is the description of a flight of an arrow. Which, whether or not that's accurate or not, I really? loved that that's description. Cool. Yeah, that's that not one I had heard. Maybe uh, maybe there's a bull hunter out that we'll see somewhere in the Cimarron. I don't know. Yeah. There, we're, we're here before the firearms deer season, so maybe there's bull hunters out there. Anyways, um, so the Cimarron was established in 1960, and again, 108,000 acres. And the other thing that is true of all the grasslands, they all have windmills on them. All of them, yeah. And yeah. that's going to play into our strategy, isn't it? A little bit, yeah. One of the one of the ways that I hunt the grasslands is, and I don't want to be hot-spotting uh, tactics here, but, I mean, everybody does, is to hunt windmills. Windmills, tank batteries, things like that. Uh, uh, blues especially kind of tend to gravitate towards structure. 
And so one of the ways that you can find blues on 108,000 acres uh, is to kind of concentrate on, on those, those sort of high, high value areas for them. Blues, you say? Yeah. Like S- scaled quail? Scaled quail. Cotton yeah. tops? Scaled quail, totten, cotton tops, yeah. Have we ever shot a blue on the rooster road trip, Andrew? I don't even know if I know what one looks like. <laughs> <laughs> Describe a, a blue quail. I what? did this on K-Fan the other day, and I want to see how closely it came to you. Well, you're talking to a guy that is terrible with descriptions, which is ironic for a writer, but I am. <laughs> uh, they're about the size of, of a bobwhite, but they have, the reason they're called scaled quail is mm-hmm. because their feathers have sort of a scaled pattern on, mm-hmm. the, on the breast. And they're sort of a bluish gray bird uh, with a little top knot. And, well, it's uh, not really a top knot, though, is it? I mean, it's like a spiky well, haircut yeah, it's from like the a, 90s. Yeah, it's, like it's kind of like a little spike. Yeah. And, and they run like hell. Yeah. I, I think of the, the scales, like you say, the, the feathers looking like scales. It's like a tarpon, sort of. You know, that's, I've never thought about that, but that's exactly what they're like. They look a lot like tarpon scales. If you take a tarpon scales in my haircut from junior high, uh, circa 1990, and you have a scale. Then quail. you've got a scale quill. Pretty close. I yeah. can envision it perfectly now. <laughs> I think we need a but picture of faster. that for, yeah. for the rooster road trip. <laughs> I told my mom we'll, we'll put to put it in the show notes. notes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, before we move on from the Cimarron, here's one other fun fact out of National Grassland uh, trivia, um, which this could be the next rooster road trip. The, the Comanche uh, National Grasslands just over the border in Colorado. Uh, any idea, Chad, what uh, – the Comanche is noted for beyond upland birds, which there's a lot of scaled quail in the Comanche too. But what there's a there's a nugget that just jumped off the page to me um, about the Comanche. And you're asking me to? I'm just to, wondering to, if you knew. Uh, well, you're kind uh, of a uh, you you know a lot of facts. So I thought, and you've hunted the Comanche. I thought maybe you would know this one. Is this a biological fact or a cultural fact? Uh, biological. Hmm. Don't know. All right. Uh, so two things. Um, there's 275 different species of birds in the Comanche. That's not the fact I was driving at. The longest dinosaur track trackway in the entire world. In other words, fossilized tracks from dinosaurs. The longest from start to finish that they've ever found anywhere on the planet is in the Comanche National Grasslands. I, I know that, well, like, what, why are we talking about that in Rooster Road Trip? But isn't that bizarre? That's pretty cool. That's, how, that's how, cool. how long is it? You're burying yeah. the lead. I, I, I don't know. It just, that was the fact. I didn't know anything. Uh, I don't know how long it is. Well, but Birds uh, are is modified reptiles, well, so that it all links together. That whole area of the, the far western Oklahoma panhandle, southeastern Colorado, is very well known for fossils. Like the Levea tar pit. Kind of, yeah. Like the Black Mesa area of Oklahoma, which is really from a from a geographic and ecological standpoint, more Colorado than Oklahoma, uh, is is one of the, the richest sources of, of uh, dinosaurs. There's a dinosaur tracks in, in far northwest Panhandle. And so it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, huh. that, that whole area is known for that. So now that I've taken us on the dinosaur tangent, uh, so you, you did mention that we, we got here in time to get Yeti out, right? The, the adopted 
Marissa Jensen short hair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we did uh, see just a glorious sunset. It was every color of the yeah. rainbow. Beautiful tonight. sunsets out here. One, uh, of the, one of the best things about it. It, it really is. I mean, yeah. it, you have such a wide vista and you can see it forever. And one of the cool things about the grasslands is that you can, you can camp out there. One of my favorite things to do when I come out here and bird hunt is, is camp on the grasslands. Oof. There's dispersed camping. You can camp pretty much anywhere. And you can camp in some places where you get these just absolutely cinematic sunsets. Ooh. It's it's worth the price of admission. Marissa, what's your first impression based on uh, what you've seen so far? Oh, it's gorgeous. Um, I, I love the, the sand hills in Nebraska. And it, it doesn't have the rolling hills, but it's got a lot of that same kind of sparse vegetation. And it, it's just beautiful. Uh, I can't wait to get in there and really, really go at it. So... It, it's going to be a lot of fun. Soon. Yes. Yep. Andrew, your first impressions. It looks mean. <laughs> it looks angry. I don't know. Like There's thorns everywhere. There's cactuses sticking up. I'm just looking at my tiny little Brit like, you ready, bud? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but it's, for as stark as it is, it, it, it's fascinating and it does have its, its own unique charm and beauty and just the ability to go anywhere for as long as you want or as, for as long as your water can, can withstand. Um, I, I just love places like that. So this is definitely really appealing to me. Like it's going to be a very fun adventure tomorrow. They say that, um, well, the saying in West Texas, it's everything wants to poke you and stick you when you're quit. You know, Andrew mentions it, it, you know, it looks kind of mean. This is the edge of where you do get into yucca. You do. And cactus. And, you know, you have prickly pear and Mm -hmm. you have choya. You get farther west toward the Colorado border and you start getting more choya. But really, it's not as bad as what a lot of people make it out to be. Mm -hmm. Sandburrs are not, I find that sandburrs are not really a problem. Uh, Dogs learn to avoid prickly pear uh, for the most part. I don't have much problem. Uh, with that kind of stuff, and I usually don't even boot the dogs, and I usually don't have problems. It's it looks meaner than it is. Well, the the, the redeeming fact too is, you know, next to you know, like th- these mean-looking landscapes, there's also little pockets of weeha. Yeah. And, and these pockets of weeha are beautiful stands of grass. Oh, you mean there's more than 108,000 acres around here? <laughs> yeah. So on top of the grasslands, <laughs> there's all this weeha. So it's it's kind of like choo- choose your poison, and that's. Yeah. I'm being pulled multiple directions. Like the, the part of me that wants to play it safe and you know this terrain, you know how to hunt this, wants to go straight to the tall grass where I feel comfortable. But then I have this new level of intrigue. Like I don't know what to look for when I'm quail hunting in this terrain. I don't like there's no, what edges do I hunt? There are, there are no edges. It all looks the same. So that's, that's going to be really fun to like try and figure out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, all right. So tomorrow we kick off. Uh, let's see, tomorrow's Monday, December 2nd in the Cimarron National Grasslands with, with some, like you said, there's, a, I think, a million acres of Weehaw in the state of Kansas and a significant percentage of them, of those acres are down here in the southwest corner. So depending on uh, how we're doing, we've got lots of options. So tomorrow we kick off in the Cimarron and, and then where do we go from there, Andrew? Well, I don't need people knocking on my hotel door, <laughs> door as, as we go, but uh, we're going to be traveling uh, further north uh, to the, the Goodland area. I'll just say that for our hunt on Tuesday. And then from there, we'll, we'll dip into Nebraska. We'll be cruising through the, the McCook area for a while, and then uh, we're going to head up to Kearney. Did I pronounce that right? You did, Kearney. All right. <laughs> <'Cause>, uh, <laughs> don't ask Bob. I asked earlier. <laughs> 
Because we did I say Kearney before? You did, yep, yep. Did I say Kearney? Oh, yep. really? Okay. <laughs> That's how it's spelled. Yeah. <laughs> tomato, tomato. I even, well, I even know it was supposed to be pronounced Kearney. <laughs> it's okay. Oh, well. Um, and then uh, I think uh, deer season starts here in Kansas, as I mentioned, firearms deer season on Wednesday. So another reason that uh, we're going to move north. I was originally planning on spending three days in Kansas. Um, and then luckily a, uh, another employee of ours kind of shot me a message like, FYI, um, that is deer opener. And I said, I will not be here for that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love to deer hunt as well. Um, but you know, they deserve their time and their space and they don't need me and my bird dog trooping through everything right in front of them. So they, they can, they can have their, their fun, fill the freezer and we can just head north. All right, so moving to the lightning round as we get ready to start the 2019 10th annual Rooster Road Trip, Marissa. Well, there's my... my <laughs> that was my introduction. That was my website. Do you like that? <laughs> we got click effects on the podcast Any, now. Anytime someone says my name, that little chime <laughs> goes off. <laughs> uh, what, what, is your, uh, what is your hope what, what are you hoping to accomplish um, from a personal or professional perspective during the course of the next five days? All right. So um, this is actually really exciting for me. It's really exciting to be on here, um, you know, regardless. But I've actually never hunted outside of the state of Nebraska. Uh, most people know that I, I haven't been hunting my whole life. So this is my fourth season. So I'm really excited just to, um, you know, see different landscape, you know, hunt different public lands um, from a professional and a personal um, perspective and um, really hoping to shoot my first non-resident bird. That's, that's a goal. So um, yeah, I'm feeling like tomorrow might be the day. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. Chad, I'm going to hold you to it. <laughs> and uh, for our, our pseudo guide, yep. what, uh, what's your hope out of the 2019 Rooster Road Trip? Uh, well, my, shirt, my short-term uh, hope is to uh, take the pseudo part off of the guide <laughs> and actually find some birds. Uh, whether those birds are bobwhites, scaled quail, or pheasants, I don't care. Uh, I just want to get the pressure off of me. <laughs> Long term, uh, I just want to have I thought fun. you were going to just going to end there. <laughs> I would like to. Yeah. But uh, long term, I just want to have fun. I, I'm looking forward to this trip. Uh, like like you said earlier, I, I came up and hunted with you guys on the second rooster road trip. Had a blast. Mm-hmm. Uh, still have a mule deer shed in my living room from that trip that I found on that trip. Hmm. Talking about mule deer. But uh, yeah, I just want to, to, to have fun and, and see what it's all about. And hopefully shoot a few pheasants and quail. All right. Your number ten rooster road trip, Andrew. What's uh, what's left to accomplish? What what do you want to have happen out of twenty nineteen? This year isn't much different than the years past, um, because I, I think one of the main goals, and Chad nailed it, is just to show how fun upland hunting is. Um, you know, I'm going to take a wild guess and say a majority of the people who are going to be consuming the content we produce in the next week um, are going to skew towards the under the younger demographic. Um, and that's the exact demographic we need to stand up and uh, support conservation and get involved. And if I can show how fun upland hunting really is with uh, good friends, then hopefully that inspires them to get out there. And hopefully they can knock down one more bird. Mm-hmm. And hopefully they care a little bit more. And hopefully they can become a Pheasants Forever or renew or get involved with their lo- local chapter. Or hopefully they can invite a new friend to join them because they forgot how fun it was. I just want people to see like the content and consume it and be like, 
I got to get out there. Mm-hmm. I got to I got to do this. And uh, if we can do that, then I think we've accomplished our goal. I can't say it any better than that. That's perfect because you know every year, and we've seen it on our social media when we put out the teaser video right before uh, Thanksgiving. And if you haven't seen it yet, go to the uh, Wednesday post right before Thanksgiving. Um, people commenting, "Oh, I, I didn't know if you guys were going to do it again this year. It's so late. I, I can't wait." You know, they don't know what to call it, right? They're no. like, "Oh, I love that show." It's like, <laughs> well, it's not really a show, but it, you know, I, it is absolutely terrific that people look at Rooster Road Trip as a destination con- piece of content from the organization, and it, it's. It's an idea that's made a, a difference. It generates, you know, thousands upon thousands of dollars in sponsorship revenue, which goes direct to our habitat mission. Um, anywhere in the neighborhood of 500 new members join as a result of Rooster Road Trip every year. And not to sound like an infomercial, but we have a pretty kick ass membership offer for Rooster Road Trip this year. Yeah, it's uh, the the featherweight classic knife made by Browning. Comes with a nice burly sheath, and then we also uh, are throwing in uh, a cap light. And on top of that, anybody who signs up through that offer um, during the next two weeks will be automatically entered to win the Browning Satori White Lightning that uh, we're going to be using throughout the week. So a Satori over and under. Um, and based on past, uh, your odds are, you know, one in 500, uh, which are pretty darn good. It's pretty good for and, a gun. And, um, you know, obviously you're joining the organization and you're making a commitment to conservation. And if you are currently a member, you can still sign up. We add an entire year onto the end of your membership's expiration date. So even if you renewed with the, uh, oh, the retro cap offer on October 1st. You can sign up through Rooster Road Trip. We'll throw an entire year on. You'll be good through the end of uh, October 2020. Uh, you'll get that Browning Pheasants Forever knife, the cap light, and a chance on the shotgun. And you'll be making a huge difference for um, upland habitat conservation and adding your voice to um, public lands advocacy and helping us be the public land creator of the uplands through all sorts of wildlife management acquisitions, um, through walk-in programs. So we uh, encourage you to check out roosterroadtrip.org. We will have videos, blogs, um, all sorts of social content on that site all week long. And a shout-out before we get to, um, before we close, shout-out to all of those sponsors generating those thousands of dollars directly going into our habitat mission. Browning, all the clothing you'll see us wearing along the Rooster Road Trip provided by Browning as well as all the shotguns. The Rooster Road Trip truck provided by Apple Autos in Apple Valley, Minnesota. Trusting us with a truck for another year. Thank you very much, Apple Autos. Orca coolers keeping all our birds Chad, uh, cold, on ice, Orca Coolers, Garmin, our buddy Rayhan, who used to work at Pheasants Forever, has outfitted us with, outfitted us with, uh, and our dogs, with all sorts of electronic um, dog training gears, the Alpha Collars, uh, Instinct Watches, 
Uh, what am I missing from Garmin? The, the in-reach devices are very important for where we're going. Mm-hmm. Uh, our buddy Lance Kramer at Soundgear protecting our ears with uh, InstaFits and uh, custom hearing protection. Uh, Doug at Ruffling Kennels, keeping our dogs warm in safe in their kennels. Ruffling Kennels, federal ammunition, every single shot ever taken on the Rooster Road Trip for 10 years has been federal premium ammunition. Camp Chef, somewhere down the road in the next couple of days, we'll be putting some birds, Shh, Chad, um, on a grill. <laughs> uh On our feet, Irish Setter Boots, the official boot of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. And a thank you to our 10th partner, Nebraska Game and Parks Commission, sponsoring the Nebraska leg of the 2019 Rooster Road Trip. Andrew, what did I uh, forget after that uh, infomercial at the end? You nailed it. It's it's not that I didn't have faith in you, and uh, it's not like I'm looking at the roosterroadtrip.org website right now, just kind of going with you to make sure we hit them all. But uh, you nailed it, and they're they're all critically important. Uh, they're not only giving us the gear that allows us to stay safe and succeed, but they're also backing our conservation mission with their dollars. Um, so we don't advertise on this podcast uh, yet. Uh, I'm not sure if we will, um, but. We, we take these plugs seriously, and that's because they're, they're stepping up to the plate for conservation. Um, so support them as well. Yeah, right on. They, uh, they get the big picture. They, they want to get their products out there, but they are doing that um, with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever because they, they see the long-term mission of creating wildlife habitat and public lands to perpetuate uh, the, the customers that they want to buy their products. So thank you to all those partners. Um, Chad, Marissa, Andrew, day one of the Rooster Road Trip gets underway in just a couple hours. You guys going to be able to sleep? No pressure. <laughs> Chad's <laughs> not going to be able to. No. <laughs> well, folks, tune in tomorrow, December 2nd. We will let you know how Chad did <laughs> as a pseudo guide. Or didn't do. <laughs> on day one of the 2019 Rooster Road Trip on the 108,000-acre Cimarron National Grassland. Or maybe we'll try the Weehaws. But uh, tune in to On the Wing podcast tomorrow, and we'll give you an update from uh, the Rooster Road. And please be sure to sign up to, Roost, uh, sign up to be a member of Pheasants Forever at Rooster Road Trip. We'll talk to you tomorrow.